Good morning. Good morning. Why don't you uh, turn to the person next to you and say, you have permission to smile today. This, uh, this is a good day, isn't it? My words. You can't almost not smile on the back of hearing stories like that. I'm so excited for these guys and all that God has got in store for them in their journey in the days ahead. Well, listen, if I haven't had the opportunity of saying hello to you before, uh, it's great to have you with us. Uh, my name's Steve. I'm part of the team here today, and I'm going to be speaking to you for the next little while as part of the um, theme of uh, preaches that we've been doing called Storylines. Um, just, but just before I get into that, tell me, how many of you here went along to the Catalyst Festival this year? Numbers of people, but not loads of you. Well, listen, we had an amazing time. There was around about three and a half thousand people who were uh, just camping in a field, field in a place called Stonely, just outside of Coventry, and uh, we kind of gathered together to worship Jesus and to uh, listen to great teaching. We had a brilliant time, especially, to be honest with you, the kind of connection time on site with our kind of King's Arms troop. There was well over a hundred of us there, and so it was great to have that time. And I actually took my son along with me. There's a picture kind of up behind. We were kind of snuggling up in the tent together with Mickey and Panda. And uh, because of the fact that my wife wasn't around, I did my very best to take James into the main meetings with me. And so he would uh, kind of sit at the back with me, kind of sat um, against the wall, and then I would try and engage as best I could with what was going on the main stage. And uh, because of the fact I wanted to keep him entertained, I downloaded a whole bunch of uh, cartoons for him to watch. And so, anyone watch Gummy Bears? Oh, it was an absolute classic in the kind of 80s and early 90s. So I downloaded a whole load of Gummy Bears episodes on my laptop. And then I had uh, a bag of sweets as well. And every now and then I would kind of just offer him one of these kind of jelly sweets and he would watch Gummy Bears and eat the sweets. And there was this beautiful moment where, where he kind of sat with, he's got the laptop on his knee, he's kind of watching the Gummy Bears, I give him a Gummy Sweet and he, he kind of holds the sweet and he looks at the Gummy Bears, he takes his headphones out, he looks at the Gummy Bears, uh, looks at the, the, the Gummy Sweet, he looks at the Gummy Bears and he turns to me and he says, Daddy, this is my favorite thing in the whole world. <laughs> I was like, I've got a kid there who is very easily pleased. But, uh, it was a very, very sweet moment. But you know, my highlight from the festival actually was the number of people and the really significant healings that we saw. And so where there was one particular uh, evening, which you might have heard us talk about, where Nikki Stanyard kind of led a number of the young people who had been there for the festival to bring words of knowledge. That was basically what they shared was what they felt like God might want to do to people who were in the kind of gathered crowd there. And so there were some remarkably specific words of knowledge, and then we prayed for the sick. Anyway, I went back to the campsite that um, evening, only to be greeted later on on by this kind of um, well of people really excitable, one of which was the guy who's appearing behind me on the screen, a gentleman called Chris. Now, Chris has been coming to this church for uh, the last two or three months, and um, he came up to me with this huge smile, and I was like, hey, Chris, kind of what's been going on? And then he lifted out his hands, and he showed me his two hearing aids in his hands. I'm like, all right, what's going on here? And so he basically said that for the last... For the last um, couple of years, he's had real hearing problems, and um, for the last few months, he's been wearing these hearing aids. He was prayed for and now can hear absolutely perfectly. <laughs> Praise God. Now, what I then found out was that there was also a word of knowledge about a lady who was in red zone, which happened to be where we are. 
And uh, this lady had a problem with her head, with kind of dizziness and pain in her head. And um, what was interesting was that I had known that Katie Jo Gracie had been on our site. You know, so again, Katie Jo will appear behind, but she'll, many of you will know who Katie Jo is. And uh, Katie Jo had come having had months of pain and discomfort kind of in her head, headaches, dizziness, blurriness in her vision, real nausea, to the point where she'd been hospitalized twice over this period. And she came to the festival simply in order to be around the King's Arms family, but at this point she hadn't been to a single session because of the fact that during the sessions she would go back to her tent and try and rest up just so she'd get through that time. Anyway, Matt was in the meeting, so as soon as he heard lady, red zone, problem like that, that's my wife. So he jumped up, received prayer for her, and then sent her a message and said, hey, KJ, let me know how you're feeling when you wake up. So KJ wakes up, gets this text text message, and she's literally like, I, there's, there's no pain in my head. She walks to the toilet in a, in a way that she's able to for the first time without any dizziness, any nausea, and she's been completely set free of this thing that had been on top of her. Isn't that incredible? Like, God is on the move in these ways. You know, it was, it was the week before that, actually where um, we'd had a sustainable power school here where we'd gathered a whole bunch of leaders. And within the space of about half an hour on the back of bringing some words of knowledge, we saw some remarkable things. There was a gentleman who was, um, had, had a tinnitus, a ringing in his ear for the last two years, who had it instantly taken off him. And then there was a lady who we actually prayed for her knees. We had a, a word of knowledge about arthritis, and uh, she'd had problems with her, with her knees. And she actually didn't feel any immediate improvement. If anything, she said it actually feels like it's hot, and it feels like it's um, getting worse, which is slightly awkward, isn't it? Um, but she came up to me this, the following day, and she said, Steve, this morning, I've woken up without any pain in my knees for the first time in seven years. Isn't that incredible? Can I tell you one more? Because uh, the week after that, see, I, I, I'm slow on the uptake, but I'm thinking that God's wanting to do some things, right? The week after that, I went up to speak in a church in Loughborough, and I told a couple of these stories, and we, again, kind of brought some words of knowledge. We prayed for the sick, and um, within about you know, five-minute period, there were six people in that room who were saying, I have now they were pain-free, or they were um, you know, significantly improved from where they're at. One guy was this guy. So this was a gentleman who came in, and he was interesting to me because of the fact that he said that um, when he walked in, the tinnitus in his ear was so severe that he was surprised the people next to him couldn't hear it. He had this kind of ringing, and we prayed for him, and he had completely no ringing whatsoever. For the first time, by the way, and he said he's had it for somewhere between 30 and 40 years. Isn't that incredible? Should we just thank God? Love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. I'm just kind of super excited about what he's doing, you know? And um, just to say, this morning, I don't know whether you've been to the King's Arms before. I don't know whether this is even in your sphere of reference, but I believe in a good God who is eager to heal and to touch lives and to set people free today. And, you know, specifically, at the end of this meeting, we want to take the opportunity to pray for anyone here who is sick. And it might be, in particular, you've heard one of those things that I've referenced. Maybe you've been struggling with hearing problems or tinnitus. Maybe it's the case that you have arthritis, and you think, hey, I need God to do that in my life as well. And specifically, I felt like there was someone here who had a problem rotating their right shoulder, someone who has problems with their heels, um, someone who's allergic to tomatoes, all right? And then uh, finally, kind of Wendy also felt like there was someone here who had an issue swallowing as well. It's almost like a permanent lump in your throat. If any of those 
makes sense to you, I would just urge you, don't miss out this opportunity. I would love to personally pray for you, but there's also going to be a ministry team down at the front, and it'd be amazing, wouldn't it, to see God move once more. But to dive back into our series just now, I would love to kind of just continue sharing, and we're looking at the theme of salvation. Now, I uh, don't know about you, but I'm captivated by the movies that show stories of great heroes, often giving themselves, self-sacrificing themselves in order to support and to care for other people. And you know, the Bible, without a shadow of a doubt, is one of the incredible long-winded stories that is filled with kind of characters and individuals who do this, and who God anoints at specific times for specific purposes in order to bring a rescue plan about that he has for humanity. And so one big picture through the Bible, starting in Genesis, is that God is a God who saves. Amen? See, he created us to know him. Not just that he created the world to know him, he created you to know him personally and delight in him. And he fights for that relationship. So we see it through the Old Testament where you know, God rescues the people kind of in the midst of Egypt through Joseph, saves them in from Egypt through Moses, he saves them into the Promised Land through Joshua, and Israel, to be honest with you, right the way through the Old Testament, keep making a complete pig's ear out of following God. And yet on every occasion when they turn back to him and repent, he's so quick to rush forward. And it was through those people that he initiated the greatest rescue plan for salvation for the whole of the world. The moment, of course, climaxed with a man dying on an ugly cross just outside of Jerusalem, and his name's Jesus Christ. We can't get very far as Christians without talking about Jesus and without talking about his life, death, and his resurrection. And, um, you know, so many Christians will, lots of people actually, kind of tattoos of crosses, lots of churches are shaped like crosses or have kind of crosses on them. Regularly, we will um, take communion here simply to remember that very fact. And it's through the cross that actually God shows both his justice but also his love and his mercy in suffering on our behalf. So we're going to dive into a passage in the New Testament in Acts 16. If you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to dive in there. Acts 16, 22 to 34. If you haven't got a Bible with you, the verses will appear up on the screen behind me. And uh, this is an account of two men who have been radically transformed by the saving power of Jesus. And uh, Paul and Silas, who we're going to pick up the journey, have basically been traveling around the region into towns and cities. And what happens is that they are setting people free, seeing the uh, the sick healed, and then causing a real stir in the local towns. So let's pick up the story. Acts 16, 22. It says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights 
rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's a great question, by the way. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. It's a great story. Remarkable people caught up in such a difficult situation, beaten in the midst of prison, and yet rejoicing in the joy of their salvation. Hey, I must confess to you that I am a little bit of a football fan. In fact, that's a little bit of an understatement. Since I was a very small child, I have been a huge football fan. In fact, don't laugh, but this is a picture of me in a forest shirt. And uh, yes, that is me, despite the fact that that picture has hair. Um, The... um, Like so many uh, children, I dreamed of playing international football, and so I've been thoroughly enjoying watching the um, uh, European Championships that have been going on at the minute, and equally disappointed by the state of England's uh, disappointing campaign, but let's not go there just now. But I'm curious in the room as to, uh, I know that if you had to force yourself to either end of the footballing enjoyment spectrum, how many of you here would put yourself down as face-painting fanatics, or how many of you would rather squirt lemon juice into your eye, okay? So, So, on the scale of enjoying football and really watching, so how many of you would be face-painting fanatics? Oh, guys. How many of you would rather put lemon juice in your eyes? Oh, my word. You're just kind of affirming what I've always known about the King of King's Arms and what I haven't quite fit in here. No, I'm kidding. Well, listen. Just to let you into my world a little bit, I, I have this vivid memory of when I was just I kind of 17, 18 years of age when the France 1998 World Cup was going on. And uh, this was a, a big time, and I, I remember kind of watching on the big screen and cheering and championing and thinking that England are going to do really well. And uh, there was this particular game when we were in the quarterfinals playing against Argentina. And uh, this particular game started very badly. There was a guy called Gabriel Batistuta who scored a penalty against us. And then there was uh, a Shearer equaliser before the moment, and some of you guys are going to love this, the moment that Michael Owen scored his classic goal. He was kind of 17, 18 years old as well. He kind of received the ball in his own half. He kind of took it down, beat one player, beat a second player, and then some of you guys are lost, aren't you? Rifled it, kind of top left-hand corner with this phenomenal shot. And it's like class goal. Now, sadly, it didn't quite end there, because uh, what happened was there was a guy called Zanetti who equalized, and then there was the moment. David Beckham flicking his leg out, Diego Simeone falling on the floor, Beckham, star player, getting sent off, and we end up going out, losing on penalties when David Batty and Paul Ince miss with the most pathetic penalties that I think I've ever seen. Now, there's no bitterness still there, I promise you, but... Now, now, the reason this is significant is that I remember that because of the fact that I was devastated. And we were in Newquay watching it at the time, and I remember walking to the end of the pier in Newquay, sitting on the end and refusing to talk to any of my friends and crying on the pier in Newquay because I was so devastated by the fact that England had been knocked out. Now, you see, I think it's often the case, actually, that our circumstances 
we can often allow to dictate where our joy and how our emotions bounce up and down, actually. And whatever we hold in highest regard, often that's a key element of what is going on internally and where the, our emotions are going to be swayed back and forth. Who or what you worship is critical in the midst of where our hope is and where our joy is to be found. Now, I recognize that football may be a very trivial example, much though it was very important to me at the time. But actually, I think for all of us, we've still got to ask this kind of question. And so is it based, our hope, our joy, our recognizing that we are saved, is it based on our finances and the security we get from them? Is it based on our job security or what we're doing with our life right now? Is it based out of even our health well, there's the you know, politically appropriate one in the minute. I say, does our hope, our joy come from the political system which is around us? In reality, you see, we might have a huge amount of trust. We might have a very sincere faith in certain things. But actually, they're always going to let us down unless it's something which is going to save let me illustrate it like this, right? Imagine for a moment you're out in the sea and you're kind of stranded there. But then you're thrown a breeze block, okay? No matter how secure, no matter how uh, genuine your faith is in that breeze block, I'm afraid you're only going one way. The key bit, actually, is who or what is our faith in? And the only thing that is ever going to stand up to that is Jesus Christ himself. That's what we've got to fix ourselves on. And that's what Paul and Silas do in the midst of this. And in turn, then his whole family, they can sing because they know the gospel, they know the joy, they know the, the passion that they have for him, and it's an eternal one. They know it deep down. And you know, it's so important for us to get this. Even this morning, as I'm kind of going through my notes, I just kind of put it to one side, and I'm like, God, I want to thank you so much that I'm saved. Yeah. I want to thank you so much that it's not because of me. Yeah. It's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that I've earned. It's nothing that I'm ever even going to earn. Actually, it's just because of your grace, because of your love for me. Yeah, it's true for you as well. Just take a deep breath in and remind yourself. Remind yourself. It's not because of me. It's because of his goodness, his mercy, his life, his joy over us. I remember very early days of me responding to Jesus. I remember driving back to Milton Keynes where I lived at the time. I remember listening to delirious songs and just singing about his love and his compassion. And I'm like pretty much having to pull over because I'm just weeping. I was provoked earlier on just by Wendy just now to like, sometimes I think we just need to remind ourselves of what it was like when we were first saved. Yeah. Knowing the joy of our salvation. Knowing the heart connection with him and realizing it's not about us, it's about him and how good he is. When I first became a Christian, I was like, hey, this is, this is brilliant. You know, the cross seems to make sense. Now, what do we move on to? Hey, you know what? In reality, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is always going to be the main thing. And what I want to do today is provoke us, actually, to know joy in our salvation and joy in other people's salvation. When Jesus, in uh, Luke 10, sent out the 72, he said, go and bring the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, set free the oppressed. And in the midst of that, they came back being like, wow, the most amazing things have happened. You wouldn't believe this, but even demons, they uh, respond and they leave in your name. This is amazing. You know what Jesus is, says to us? He's like, actually, what you need to do is you need to rejoice by the fact that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice in the fact that your name is in the God's book 
of life. Isn't that amazing? That's worth celebrating. That's worth celebrating. Rejoicing in him is a very godly thing because it shines his light on his power to save. I was a 24-year-old living for the weekends, living without any sense of purpose, living for the approval of other people, feeling desperate, feeling lost, feeling lonely. And actually, it was him stepping in which has changed everything. And you know what? I'm not going to shut up about that. I've been, I've been saying it for the last 12 years or so, and I'm going to keep saying it, because what I want to know is that if I was blind and now I see, I was lost but now I'm found, hey, that's available for every single one of us. And that's available to every single person that's out there as well. Now you might say to me, Steve, but I don't really understand how this fits together. Let me just explain it very quickly. You see, through the cross, God's love is shown. And at the same time, what we show is, see is his mercy and his justice. You see, a holy God cannot stand sin. It's the rebellion it's the um, pride, it's the greed, it's the jealousy. It's actually the root of all that's wrong with the world and all the brokenness that we see around us. We had a debt before God, and it was an ugly one. But in his great love, the Bible says, God did not treat us as our sins deserved. Oh, that's good news. He did not treat us as our sins deserved. And so you've heard it said before that actions speak louder than words, right? Well, this is what I would say. This perfect act was an act of perfect love. Romans 3.26 says it was to demonstrate his justice at the present time so that he could be just and the one who justifies. That means that God is holy and knows justice at the same time as that he is love and he justifies. He paid the debt that we owe. He did what we could not do so that we could know forgiveness and reconciliation with him so that we could know an eternity secure because of how good he is. But you know, God is doing something. This is what excites me. This is what should excite you as well. Because there's something special going on in Bedford and in the UK and around the world right now when it comes to people coming to know him. And I want to allow us to celebrate people having their lives changed because what we celebrate, we elevate. Okay? What we make important right now actually gives permission to God to do it again. I think there's something alive about it. And you know, honestly, I want to refuse to get tired of people getting saved. I just, I just want to fundamentally say, like, I don't ever want to get bored of some, seeing someone's life get radically transformed and not be like, wow, that is amazing. And their eternal future and destiny is different because of the fact that Jesus has come into their lives. And it's possible for us to be skeptical. It is. It's possible to become, become hard-hearted. This happened years ago when it came to this first sign to sing uh, Miraculous Signs on the Street. I was there in the staff meeting when it was proposed for the very first time, look, we want to see you know, 30 miracles outside of a church context where people will be healed and touched by God. I'm thinking, oh man, is that even possible? How is that going to happen? But you know, reality is we've seen far, far more than that. But the skeptical side of me and maybe even one or two of you, can think, well, if they were really touched and really healed, surely they would have come to church. If they really had come to church, then surely they would have connected to you know, our church family, and you know, why do we not see them every week? And, you know, does that mean they were you know, really touched? Does that mean they were really healed? And you know, My heart is that we would make disciples, right? Absolutely. But I'm going to celebrate every single step along that journey, and I'm going to celebrate every single thing that God does, which we could never do. And so once upon a time, we were never seeing people healed, and we started seeing people healed. And then we would rarely, if ever, see anybody respond to Christ on the street. Now we're starting to see people respond to Christ on the street. And you're seeing people like, when there was Gene this morning and Catherine just now saying that he, they actually met someone in the, in the street or in a public context and actually said, yeah, I want to introduce and invite Jesus into my life. That is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. 
You see, who knows, by the way, what happened to the jailer and his family? I don't. I don't know whether he got connected to a local church. I would love it if he did. In the same way as I want to make disciples here, but I'm going to celebrate the journey, knowing ultimately it's God who saves and not me. Amen? That to precurse the fact that I believe God is doing something. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine. This next image is a friend of mine called Alan. So, no, previous one. All right, so, don't laugh. This is me on a holiday in Magaluf before I was a Christian, okay? So, uh, I was, uh, I'm the guy in the middle, if it wasn't obvious, and uh, I'm a heavy drinking, lads holiday kind of guy, and uh, I'm there, and uh, this guy next to me is a friend of mine called Alan. And so he and I have been um, kind of journeying with life now for probably the last 18 years since the start of university. And um, he, over the last two or three years, has been having a pretty of a tough time. And uh, he gave me permission to kind of share the story that he uh, and his wife had two very late miscarriages, well into the 20-week period, and it was devastating for them. They had a really tough time with it. And um, just this last year, they fell pregnant again. And uh, we had been uh, praying for them regularly whenever we met, and he would be texting me updates, I'd be praying for him, and then... In the midst of that journey, there were some bumpy moments where he'd give me a call and be like, Steve, would you, would you kind of pray for me now? And um, just earlier this year, there was one particular moment where he phoned and said, Steve, I feel such a hypocrite asking you again. He said, you know, how, how do I even pray? Can I do that? I was like, dude, God hears every single word. Every single word. So you can speak to him. You can pray to him. And do you know what? As you'll see in this next image, this is baby Teddy. How cool is that, huh? And... Um, I don't, I don't think Alan and his wife are kind of all the way through yet, but you know what? I'm celebrating because of the fact there's been a huge kind of shift in a spiritual openness in the midst of that. And even despite the horrendous circumstances that they've kind of walked through, actually we're celebrating that God's moving. Let me tell you about another friend of mine called Chris. If we come to the next slide. So top right of this picture is a friend of mine called Chris. And um, this is a picture of us in Thailand together, another kind of lads holiday type of thing. And... Um, he and I have known each other similarly for about 18 years from the start of university. But when I first became a Christian, I would tell people the fact that, hey, look, this has happened in my life. And I remember giving him a book. It was called uh, The Case for Faith by a guy called Lee Strobel. Now, Chris was always very open to me talking about this stuff, but he never really wanted to kind of go much deeper. But I gave him this book, and he put it onto his bookshelf. Now, flash forward around about 12 years to um, earlier on this year, in around about February time, and I got a phone call quite out of the blue from Chris. And um, he, he said to me, in fact, he said to me through tears because he had to pull the car over. He said, Steve, I've had this horrendous time. A month ago, my mom had been in a car accident. She's been in a coma for the last five or six weeks, and she actually died last week. And he said to me, he said to me, Steve, the only thing that's got me through this time was the fact that I went and got, got the book that you gave me from 12 years ago, and I've been reading it, and I, I want to know more about God. I want to give my life to God. What does that even look like? Crazy, eh? It's a seed that was sown, right? And actually, seeds bear fruit. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited by the fact that there seems to be a season of things happening. You know, I'm going to share one final story, which, again, I just think, for me, I point back to the, the uh, Paul and Silas and think, actually, it was transforming for the jailer there, and it was transforming for the prisoners. And I believe it's still transforming people's lives today, this message of hope, this message of life, this message of the gospel. And this story um, is a very live one, and it's from a friend of mine in Northern Ireland who I just got the details of from yesterday. And it's about a guy called Neil. 
And uh, uh, the, the, the friend of mine, actually, from time to time, very similar to how Steph does, goes out on the street, loves people, listens to people, cares for people. And um, he speaks about this guy, Neil, like this. He says, about four months ago, I met Neil's wife, Janet, and I shared with her about Jesus. She filled up with tears, said, I can't do this, and started to run off down the street. Awkward. Anyway, he says, I ran after her, gave her a hug, and prayed for her. Janet and her daughter stood crying in the street as they both opened their hearts to Jesus. When I followed up on her um, and went to their house, Neil stood at the doorstep and became uh, instantly extremely aggressive, shouting, swearing, and making threats. Janet had to physically restrain him and get him inside to calm him down. And the next week, Neil invited me to his house for a brew. He clearly felt bad about his actions, but as soon as I arrived, made his feelings clear about God when he told me, don't preach at me, lad. However, as I was leaving, I invited him to a meeting, and surprisingly, he accepted my invitation and came along that night. Towards the end of the night, during our prayer and worship time, Neil shouted out, okay, I feel really strange. And he told the group how he'd been having this intense pins and needles through his body for the last 20 minutes. He said he tried to fight it, it, and then initially it went away, but then it came back stronger and he couldn't fight it anymore. He stood, and we prayed over him, and he couldn't deny that it was Jesus, and he wanted to open his heart to him. It was a very moving and emotional evening for us as we watched the Holy Spirit soften Neil's heart before our very eyes and bring him home into the Father's arms. Neil hit the ground running. So much so that within a couple of weeks, Neil asked me if he could come onto the streets with me to learn how to tell others about Jesus. Neil was a man who was diagnosed by psychiatrists as having an emotionally unstable personality disorder. He was once a football hooligan who headed up three organizations of football gangs whose sole purpose was to arrange rendezvous and uh, with other football firms and fight. Neil's past consisted of being an alcoholic, A womanizer, he even attempted suicide on two occasions and narrowly escaped death when he tried to throw himself under a train and was pulled to safety just in time. And the latest update is that in the last three days, he's he's led nine people to Jesus. Ah. See... Our God saves, and we have permission to be happy about it, permission to enjoy our own salvation, permission to celebrate when others are saved. In just one moment, I'm going to release parents to go and get their children. But before I do, before I do, I just want to provoke us like this, okay? Paul and Silas shared the hope with prisoners and the prison guards, and their lives got flipped upside down because of it. All around us, the same thing is happening. And we have the opportunity to embrace and to be involved with what God is doing. Or we have the opportunity to keep our heads down. I choose to celebrate and be involved. So in a moment or two, what's going to happen is that the band are going to come back and we're going to sing a song. All right? Now that opportunity is for us to remind ourselves, just as we have even through worship earlier on today, of the incredible God of love who has saved us. Who has saved us. And then we're going to celebrate these three people as they get baptized and honor God for what he's done in them. You see, God, the creator of the universe, has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life, and he loves you and wants you to help you in the midst of everything that you're going through. He knows that we can't do it on our own. 
and he sent Jesus to come be close to us and help.